everybody to another episode of Small Council Radio. So tonight, it's a little bit of a bonus episode, uh, kind of just on a whim, decided we wanted to talk about this topic. If you haven't already seen the title, it's uh, Overlooked Units or uh, Underused Units. Um, for the most part, kind of means the same thing, but there is a slight difference there. Uh, tonight, I have with me Cyrus and Craig. Thank you guys uh, for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be back. So just to kind of jump right into things, oh, you know, I should lead with my disclaimer. I've been been saying the last couple episodes, I am still uh, out in Louisiana for the hurricane. Uh, Things are still, like the hurricanes died down, which is nice, but things are still kind of hectic. So I could be called away at any moment, but I have chosen a time where there it shouldn't be a problem. But there is always that chance. Um, but with that said, we'll jump right into it. Just uh, kind of, you know, get right into things. Um, Cyrus, why don't you kind of take us uh, or lead us into this topic? Yeah, sure. So earlier in the week, when uh, you asked me uh, what are some things that maybe we should talk about on the show, something that came to mind for me is stuff that that players are not really playing or they're kind of dismissing after the 2021 update as, oh, no, it's been nerfed to oblivion. You can't play it. it I'm never going to – it's never going to see the table. It's dead on arrival, and especially some of the new units that have been released. It's like, oh, we'll never play this. Well, it's it's hard to say that until you actually try it, until you actually get it in a game scenario and see how it performs. And quite honestly, often these units will surprise you. And I think Brett in our last show made it a point of try out stuff that you haven't tried before. You know, if you haven't played with a particular commander, if you haven't played with a particular unit, get in a list and try it out. And maybe you'll find out that, wow, this thing is actually a lot better than I thought it was. So a couple things, uh, actually, let's see here, two of my units that I have on my list were actually in my list that I ran at Nationals, and I just absolutely loved them. And they weren't given a whole lot of credit right out of the box uh, when they were uh, announced for the 2021 update. So that's kind of where I was thinking on the topic, and that's the direction that I kind of went with. Yeah, and I think, you know, with 2021, especially if, you know, people have been kind of following our series covering every last thing that's come out, there is a handful of things that, you know, we think are, you know, or, you know, without, I guess, speaking for anyone else other than myself, that I think is, you know, kind of a problem here and there, uh, certain units that are just crazy strong. But I think one thing Simon did very well, just to start off this episode, is the list of things that are underused or overlooked tend to be because they're a little bit on the weaker side. But even with that said, that list is super small. And I think that, you know, goes to show that CMON, uh, you know, they've definitely come a long way because I, I know in 1.6, there was just so many things that were never played because they just weren't that great. Um, but the things we're going to talk about tonight, it's not that they're – garbage units where the episode is to kind of help uh, bring to light some of the cool combos, some of the great techniques and 
tactics that you can kind of pull off with some of these overlooked units, you know, and to kind of show that even the very small list of things that people would consider just kind of weak or not worth their points, um, they still have a place. So they may not be as usable as other things and other factions, um, but there's definitely some really strong interactions that you can pull off. And some, you know, mentioned this a couple times now in the recent episodes, you know, throwing your opponent off on their game plan or not expecting something can be pivotal in gaining the advantage in a game and running a unit and a combo that your opponent isn't really aware exists or just not used to because it just it's completely oddball you know it's it's not part of their algorithm for playing you know normal competitive games uh you can really get the upper hand in that situation yeah, I totally agree. And another thing that CMON does is they don't like to, like to let units stagnate when they're in a kind of a lower power uh, lower power state. Uh, I remember they did that really early when they released the game. They had a bunch of attachments that weren't really getting run. I remember early Great John and the early uh, uh, Umber Champion. They, they weren't getting played, so in the next update that followed up, they made some tweaks, made them stronger, and then you started seeing them a lot more. So that's that's another thing that I really enjoy about Song is that the developers do tweak it, and they do stay involved in, in adjusting things. It may not happen quickly because they try to get as much data as they possibly can before they make changes, but instead of the game being stale and everything being the same for an entire year, or, you know, things that if you want to play with something or, or the, the, their, their philosophy was you should be able to play with whatever you want to play and have a good time with it instead of it being really super underpowered. So that's where a lot of the, the buffs come from, and eventually we'll get some of the nerfs to bring the power levels that are way overtuned right now down and hopefully with 2021 overall, I think we'll have a really balanced game. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, I've seen a, some people kind of complain that CMON is, like, changing the game too much too often. But, I mean, when you have something like the War Council app that provides it to you for free for reference and the ability to print off the stuff for free. I mean, you really can't, like, complain. I mean, if it's for the better of the game, just to tweak things to be more in line with, you know, the way there is, you know, either supposed to be or to encourage running it more. I mean, oh, there's not many games out there that do that. And, you know, again, just because it's the easy one that always comes to mind that I have the most experience with, Warhammer 40K, I mean, been more on codexes and rule books than I do on, like, a single faction in Ice and Fire. <laughs> so, uh, and which is fine, you know, the codexes have some awesome artwork and they have some awesome lore and this and that, but I guess that's the upside to, you know, it's the upside to song is that you're getting all this basically for free and then you know if it stays you know if the card packs stay with what we're what it's showing they're going to be roughly twenty dollars a pack 
I mean, that's almost nothing. And especially if the pack, you know, this pack is huge because, you know, they're changing basically everything, at least to a small tweak. And so they need a new card um, and it's 20 bucks. I, I wouldn't be surprised if future card packs are only 10 bucks, you know, because they're going to have, you know, maybe half or less in it. And that's, I mean, in my opinion, that's a small investment, a small price to have to pay to get, you know, updated things to to bring them in line. Um, Craig, yeah, and and yeah, on on that on that point, like they said, they're not changing the tactics deck yet. This is the tactics deck is is what it is. It's what it's going to be for the next few years at least. So the only things that are going to be changing again are going to be the units and attachments. And those are easy enough, like you said, with War Council. I know it's annoying that we're going to get these faction packs. And they're going to have. I'm pretty sure they have unit cards in in them. And if they make some some buffs and and nerfs and and they change things to, to rebalance things again, some of those unit cards are going to be out of date already. But that's that's a, a minor minor issue. This isn't going to be like the the foil cards, which we talked about while we were at nationals with some of the CMON representatives, and they acknowledged. That was, a, that was a mistake. It wasn't even uh, the developer's idea. It was somebody else's idea that they ended up falling through, and and it was just a mess. And I, I share a lot of people's frustrations with those foil packs because I got myself, what, I think, four packs of them, and then they, then they went out of date. But that's, something like that isn't going to happen again. We're going to get mainly these faction packs are going to be for the tactics deck, and we'll have some unit cards in there. Those units are going to get tweaked a little bit, but they're not going to be completely useless like those foil cards were. Yeah, and who knows? Like, maybe, you know, let's say there's only five things per faction that gets changed, and and five may sound like a lot, but I'm talking like one small tweak on this attachment, this unit, and this this commander or whatever, and this NCU. they could essentially just or like have a point change, which pack. is on the back of the card. That doesn't even matter. Yeah. Yeah, but like what I'm getting at is that five cards times eight factions. You know, you're looking at you know, they could just stick it all in one box and then sell it for twenty bucks. And that way, those that can, sure. uh, have more than one faction now just have it all with a simple single purchase. Um, now it makes sense with how much change to have each faction have their own pack um, this time around, but I think for future releases, if they do the card, you know, update everything with the cards, then uh, I could definitely see them just doing one pack that has every faction. Uh, yeah, very because, well good for those people that really want to have those uh, those hard copies of the unit cards, which I, I started doing early on in the game, but since then, gone all to my phone. Yeah. So kind of got, you know, off on a tangent, but I think it was a, you know, kind of a <laughs> yeah. good thing to to cover before we jump into like the first unit. Um Craig, I know you're finishing up with something, so I'll I'll lead us off with a, a unit that I think is uh underused. And I have mentioned it before, so I think it shouldn't be too I'm going to mention this one just cuz I think uh, we'll be able to jump through it fairly quickly and get, you know, maybe get more uh quantity rather than uh you know, I guess quality it doesn't really matter. We're talking about well, <laughs> overlook. I'm units, on the show, so but... we're not going to get quality. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, 
So for me, it's the Kranigman trackers. Uh, in my opinion, on paper, these guys look horrible. Um, and I don't mean that like in some super disrespectful way to see them on. But on paper, they just look horrible. Um, it's just for five points, I don't know why anyone would take this over so many other things. But with that said, combo before and it is a strong combo i mean it's strong enough that it's one of my top stark lists and you run what it is you run rob commander in them because rob um gives uh, uh sorry i'm looking up the the name of the abilities so i don't say i'm wrong but he uh where are they called um Tactical reposition, which is at the oh, start yeah, of an yeah. enemy turn, target one friendly unit in short range, and they perform a three-inch shift. That's really nice. Um, it gives you a lot of play there. But the biggest uh, ability he has that combos with them is the regroup. After completing a retreat action, this unit restores two wounds, plus one wound for each of its destroyed ranks. So, and they have the order swift retreat which is after an enemy completes a melee attack on this unit, you perform one retreat action. So I can't tell you how many games where I just put Rob in there as a five-point investment. I go run him up to the middle objective or an objective that is in the middle of the table, so where it's an objective my opponent also is trying to get, get him on it. I go as far past it as I can while I'm still controlling it, Every time they charge me, I just swift retreat, heal, and I only retreat one inch. That way, nothing else can charge me in the front. The unit that charged me, more often than not, has used as their action, meaning that now they can't take, like, a free attack, uh, unless, obviously, I have a range attack. But there's usually very little they can do at that point. And then I just shoot them with the trackers. I use the hidden traps with the trackers. Um, I find a way to heal them up if the heal from Rob doesn't cut it. Next turn, they try charging at me again. What do I do? I swift retreat. I back up one inch. Normally, with how big your tray is, you can do this three times. And now, you know, because they'll charge into you thinking, that they're going to be able to knock you down ranks and now contest your commander and possibly kill your commander. That's Unless they hit you really hard and you roll really bad, you should survive. Um, and then that's why you would also maybe uh, comp- uh, throw in Eddard NCU or uh, Tycho NCU to just kind of help keep that combo alive. But it's not necessary. Uh, most of the time I don't run either of them and I do just fine. Now, I'm not going to throw this unit across from, like, their all-star all-star offensive unit, but anything that's not, like, super heavy hitting uh, is going to have a hard time moving this unit or killing it off. Uh, and then Rob has a, um, I forget the name of it, but uh, it's the retreat card. Um, Basically, after you get it, it's like Swift Retreat, but in tactics card form. So even if your opponent can somehow charge you and then charge you again, if you have one of these in your hand, just keep, like I said, keep retreating and just keep holding on to this objective. And as long as you, 
obviously in order uh, to make sure nothing get your gets your flank, you're going to want to make sure other units are coming up the side of Rob and these trackers. But you know, it's you know, I think I've done five games where I've literally just done nothing but that. I run them onto an objective, and when you only have to invest five points in your commander to ensure to get two points every round, it's pretty big. What about you, yeah, Craig? I'll uh, agree. I know, you, yeah, I know you're a big uh, trackers fan, or you were. Oh yeah, it, it was my favorite unit. Um, it was I did so much damage with them, but I ran into that exact combo that you just mentioned at nationals, and it was, uh, shall we say, quite annoying. I I hit them <laughs> more times than you would think would be required of a six up save unit, seven up morale, and he was still at full ranks at the end of the game. That was the only unit he had left, but I could not, for the life of me, I could not kill it or get it <laughs> off the objective. Um, and and to continue with this unit as well, um, it's also very effective in uh, a Howland Reed list. It's not the it doesn't have the same use as it did before because um, it used to do a lot of damage output with uh, getting extra attacks and whatnot, but. If you look at his tactics cards, you know, have an unengaged Kranigman unit um, behind their out of line of sight of their unit. Uh, it's a lot easier to do with the trackers than it is with any other unit. Um, hidden traps is still quite an annoyance. Um, so there, there's there's a lot of play there. It's not. I mean, before I used to run two of them in a list religiously. I'm not sure I'd do that anymore but I do believe that the unit is underrated and does have more utility than we give it credit for. Yeah, I think before, you know, you still had to be careful because they were still pretty flimsy before, but now you this is definitely a high-level finesse unit. You, They definitely don't have the scary offensive power that they used to, and they're still just as thin as paper. So you really have to figure out what your goal is with them. I mean, this unit, if you're going to invest that five points, you really have to make sure it's going to count. What are you going to say, uh, Cyrus? What are your thoughts on this, these guys? Oh, I, I agree with you guys. That you know, I was on the show when we did the Starks breakdown and the unit breakdown. And we talked about these guys, and I said, "Ah, they don't look very good." I was one of the I was one of the guys like we just talked about in the beginning of this show. Uh, the people was like, "Oh no, they've been, they've they've been nerfed. They're not <laughs> usable anymore." I was wrong, okay, because they're they're pretty usable. Uh, and it mostly my concern about the unit resolved around the change to hidden traps. It's now hits instead of wounds, which is more fair. Auto wounds are should be hard hard to acquire. They shouldn't just come naturally, especially to a five point unit, like we saw with the poor fellows. But if if you run more than one of these Krangman trackers and have more than one hidden traps, you're gonna cause your opponent some problems because if you're if you have these guys in range, anytime they do something, they risk taking three hits, and especially to low armor units. I envision uh, getting these guys in range of your opponent's archers, and every time your your opponent's archers try to shoot, it's when an unengaged enemy performs an action. It could be 
a attack action or a, or a march or a maneuver, anytime they do anything, they're going to take these hits. So if your opponent's archers are trying to shoot into you, they've got to worry about taking some hits, and they're, they're typically low armor units, unless you're, you know, brackings. But, um, yeah, I think that, the, that they have their place. They're not the uh, spammable unit that they were in 1.6, but they still have some use, like you said, especially in uh, in uh, Howl and Reed lists, where if you have multiple Krangman units out on the field that can uh, activate Howland's cards, yeah, they're they're a problem unit. They're not they're not uh, they're not bad. They're not good. They're definitely overlooked, and they're worth a shot. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of the units that we'll talk about tonight. I think they're going to be in that comfortable, like, one-of scenario. A lot of the overlooked units, you're probably going to just be running one of them, usually with a particular combo or not. But but I think that's okay. You don't want every unit to be so good that you could just run, you know, two or three or a whole army of them. Um, And I think, uh, I think, We'll we'll have to see what future attachments uh, come out for the Starks because you never know they might come out with uh, like an attachment that just combos with these guys like amazingly well. Um, but for now, yeah, I think Rob uh, Rob Commander is like the go-to to put in them or just simply running these guys in a Holland list. Um, with that said, uh, Cyrus, do you have? Uh, a unit that you think is overlooked? Yeah. So uh, ever since Nationals, when I would discuss uh, one of the lists that I brought, every single time I would post a list, I would get the question, why are you running Knights of Casterly Rock? Why just another unit of Flademen? <laughs> well, for one, <laughs> I don't have two units of Flademen. Two, I think that the Knights of Casterly Rock are really overlooked and they have their place in certain lists. Uh, so they're, they're my number one on my list for overlooked units because they seem to constantly be overshadowed by the Flayed Men. Yes, the Flayed Men are really, really good. But Knights of Cashley Rock have some options when they're chasing down ranged units. If a ranged unit shoots into a Flayed Men, they just sit there and take it. Knights of Cashley Rock, if they get shot, they can throw back a Lannister Supremacy, and the enemy could end up taking five wounds from it. That would give any ranged unit some pause when they try to shoot the Cashley Rock uh, charging into them. Also, their hits have sundry. Flayed men don't. Your Giga Vicious on Flayed men aren't really going to do you any good if you don't get any hits through. So if you're attacking a, a heavy armored unit with Flayed men and you don't get any hits through, eh, your intimidating presence doesn't do squat. So Knights of Cashley Rock having Sundering all the time really helps them and the extra hits when they're charging. They can do some damage. They definitely have a place, and I think they're really overlooked in 2021 right now. I get it. As soon as I saw the change to Lance Cavalry, I was really I was worried. It looked like they got, they got hit really hard and, and got knocked down to power level, but I think they're still useful. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Now, would you say um, 
in your list because you already have a flayed men is why like you know because having the uh, the two different units definitely complement each other what would you say to someone who only wanted let's say one cavalry unit um, like the justification to possibly take the them over flayed men so in my list in particular I was running Roost commander and I absolutely had to have another Bolton unit. If I didn't, I might have been tempted to run two Knights of Castle Rock just because I think that, that with my with my list in particular, I had no ranged options. So if I was facing someone with one or more, I was going to have trouble because they were going to take pot shots at me. I couldn't do anything about it. So uh, – with the knights, they're my ranged unit hunters. They're going to go in, they're going to take a shot from a ranged unit, they might do damage back, and if they take three, four, five wounds from a failed panic check on Lannister Supremacy, they're in range to get wiped out on that follow-up charge. So that's one of the reasons why I like the Knights of Cashley Rock so much, that, and I think they do a little bit better once the, if they do get tied up. I think if the Knights of Cashley Rock unit got tied up with a Flademan unit, I think the Knights of Cashley Rock win just because of Sundering and Lannister Supremacy. So, like, I know Flayed Men are all the hype, but in, in certain lists, especially if you have a lot of ranged in your, in your meta or, or a lot of high armor in, in your local metas, you might look at Knights of Cashley Rock over Flayed Men. Yeah, that's definitely a great point. Um, I think... Uh... A lot of people do take it, take uh, that sundering for granted, um, you know, because Flademen are powerhouses, and it's it's hard to ignore them um, when trying to decide if you're going to choose your faction's uh, cavalry or just, you know, opt for the Flademen just because of how potent they are. Um, uh, I think that's like, out of all the reasons you gave, uh, which were all great, I think the whole the ranged unit uh, option is by far the best. Um, like, it gives you such a good answer and counter to ranged units. Uh, what do you think, Craig? Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think he covered uh, them pretty well. But I want to piggyback on that a little bit, and maybe I'm jumping the gun and bringing up something that you plan to bring up, and if so, I apologize. But uh, the other Lance Calvary unit in the game, the um, Tully Cavaliers, as a Dothraki player, I play exclusively Light Calvary, and every list I, or I shouldn't say every list, but the majority of lists I played against at Nationals included Flademen, and they were um, not much of a problem for me at all in that I already had five up morale. There were trees around. I had four up morale. So I was still passing a good number of panic tests uh, against the flayed men. So I was able to tie them up without much problem. But I played against a Stark player who ran Lance Calvary, the Tully Cavaliers. And there's, you know, the high morale, I couldn't cut through them. I couldn't take advantage of going after the morale. And the Sundering was so nasty. I mean, going from a five to a six hurts. A five is bad enough, but a six, it's it's almost non-existent. So I actually really struggled dealing with the Lance Calvary at Nationals uh, far more than I did against the Flayed Men. 
Yeah, I think uh, Calvary definitely don't have that, like, major of an advantage for charging anymore. Like, obviously, in it's always optimal to have that charge for the re-rolls and the extra auto hits, but uh, it's no longer, like, devastating because that was, like, the big thing for me in 1.6. I hated running Telecavaliers. I hated running uh, Knights of Castle Rock, even though they were great. I mean, they were awesome units, but for me, my play style, I hated when... I just could not get the charge off before my opponent. And now this, you know, eight, nine point unit that I've invested in is now no longer getting the charge and getting all those bonuses. Now that uh, they've brought the Lance Calvary like back a notch and made getting that charge not so critical, uh, I think makes them way easier in my mind to take. I agree with that. I think they're a lot easier to play now. It's almost a buff in a lot of ways. All right. Uh, what about you, Craig? Uh, is there a, a unit that comes to mind for anything overlooked um, or underused? Yeah, we'll go with uh, we'll go with Stark Outriders. Uh, they took a big a big nerf in the last edition. And I haven't seen anybody personally run them. And I hear a lot of, well, they're seven points. They're not as good as other seven-point cavalry. They don't hit near as hard as they used to, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that is all true. However, they still have the same role they did before, and that is their speed six cavalry. So they're the fastest unit in the game. Um, you have start cards that still augment them. And um, a way I deal with flayed men and other heavy cavalry is I just tie it into combat. It's not getting after my archers or anything if it's tied in combat. I can't do that against outriders. Outriders cannot be tied into combat. Um, if they get flank charges, they're handing out panic and weakened, which you know certainly doesn't help my cause either. So although they aren't as – I think before they were probably too strong and – they aren't at that level anymore, but I still think they're a very viable unit for what they do. Yeah, before, uh, I mean, I think before they're easily the best seven-point cavalry in the game. Now, I do agree that I, find, I struggle to kind of run these guys. I own three units of them, um, and, you know, it's, it's hard for me to even run one now, but... Uh, but they definitely still have a role. Um, you, it's hard to say though. I mean, because you really want to get that, uh, you know, that ambush off. But getting that flank charge is not as easy as it sounds. So, I would say, outriders are again key in like a rob list to give you that extra movement. You know, between uh, swift reposition and uh, Rob's tactical reposition, and then their ability to, you know, retreat after being attacked can definitely get you, I mean, know that whoever you retreat from can pivot, some, you know, some other unit that you can retreat next to uh, can have, you know, the opportunity to change their position, especially if 
they've already activated. Now you can retreat over near that activated unit and possibly get to their flank. Um, but again, this is a unit that you're really going to have to, it's going to take a lot of brain power, uh, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, to get these guys to work properly and the way you need them to. Um, but I think when you do, uh, they're going to definitely shine. I think really the only big thing here is that hitting on fours, hitting on fours for a seven point unit is it's a big hump to get over. Um, so you really got to have uh, try to find a way to capitalize on, on their um, swift retreat and ambush abilities. What do you think Cyrus? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same, uh, same category as you guys. And again, when we were discussing uh, Starks and the and the Stark breakdown, I was really low on these guys to start with. But I think that's coming from uh, a mentality that people are carrying over when we go from 1.6 to one or to 2021, and realize some of these units' roles are just changing. They're not they're not the same type of unit like they were anymore. Stark Outriders were uh, a pretty hard hitter that you could run out at speed six and be able to hit somebody. Now they're Just not really the front. <laughs> all about offense. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not about offense anymore. They're more of a harasser and, and a disruptor of your enemy's plans. And I think that's a, that's a common thing when we talk about overlooked units, where uh, if you looked at a unit's change from 1.6 to 2021, you got to wrap your head around that maybe the unit's role has just changed. It's not that they're weak and now they can't do what they used to do anymore. Now they just need to do something else, a new thing. And you might have a whole lot of, the, uh, of success by trying that unit out in a different way rather than running your, your Stark Outriders into the front of uh, champions of the stag and expecting them to do anything. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to do anything. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think the, the Stark Outriders do have a place as like a harassing unit that, that, can, that can make your opponent concerned. Like if I do attack them, well, now they're going to retreat. And if they get a good roll in their retreat, now they're out of range if I need to charge them. And maybe they're going to retreat over to the other side of the table and attack this other unit. So you got to play maneuvering shenanigans, kind of like the Starks were supposed to, being the maneuvering faction. So... Yeah, I think they have their place. I don't think they're bad. I think we just have to think about them differently. Yeah, and I think, like you were mentioning before, before they were so good. I mean, the purpose of these guys always were. I mean, it's in their name. They're they're outriders. You know, they're they're supposed to be this fast. You know, the abilities they've been given. They were always meant to be harassers from the flank or the rear. They're supposed to really, you know try to, I guess, screw up your opponent's uh, battle line. Um, that was just kind of, I mean, this is one of the original units from the Kickstarter that's that's always kind of been their purpose. But with how good they were, you literally just charged into the front of things. You, they were so good before that you actually were not incentivized to try to maneuver into the flank, you know, spend a turn getting into someone's flank or rear 
and they were so good at just charging in the front that you just said, well, why would I waste a good opportunity just to charge in the front of something, get my re-rolls, prevent them from re-rolls, and now tie them up? But, you know, now I think Simon has kind of brought them back to their roots uh, is a way to put it. Again, um, they're for seven points, they are not hitting very hard. You you really do need that flank because if you can get the flank, then obviously you're getting rerolls, hitting on fours with a minus one to your opponent's armor. They're panicked and uh, sorry, panicked and weakened, and a minus one to their panic test. I mean that actually is still a pretty nasty hit, but I, I guess that's the that's the big thing there is you want to constantly just having these guys charge into the flanks because of their free retreat, you can ensure that you can constantly get a, a charge over and over, or at least a lot of the time, especially, again, if you run Rob Commander, he has uh, a total of four cards, two, di two different cards, but a total of four copies um, between either getting hit and retreating or uh, retreating after attacking. Uh, and then, like I said, with swift reposition and tactical reposition, you could use these guys with their six, uh, six, six movement, and you know you can take the maneuver zone, get a free six inch, and then a uh, free three inch maneuver with uh, tactical reposition, and then um, or sorry, swift reposition, and then tactical reposition from Rob. I mean, what are you talking about there? You're talking about twelve free inches and you haven't even activated to get your free six inch and then whatever you decide to do from there. There's definitely a lot of cool things you can do with these guys. Um, I know we're just kind of, t I'm, or me, I'm just talking about one commander here, but just, you know, that's just the one that kind of jumps to mind. But Rob's all, you know, again, Rob is from the beginning of this game. So I think Outriders were always meant to kind of mesh the best with Rob Commander, with any other commander, but if we're trying to talk about, you know, the optimal way to run these overlooked units, to, to really want to, you know, encourage you to run these units and actually enjoy them, because there's a difference between running a unit that you want to be good, but they're just not performing well, and then it just kind of makes you sad on the inside a little bit. Um, <laughs> for me, that would be uh, Reapers and Greyjoys. Not that they're, like, bad by any means, uh, and they don't even really make the list on, for the show. But for me, like, when I compare them to the other Greyjoy units, I just always a little disappointed with how they interact. But we'll see if the Silenced Men and other things that come out kind of increase that, because Greyjoys, you know, are the new faction. So they got they got a long way to go to kind of catch up with this stuff. Um did you guys have anything else for the Outriders? No. All right. So for me, I'll bring up the next one. Um, I'm going to jump into uh, NCUs for this one. My uh, underused or overlooked NCU is going to be Roos NCU. And uh, that has a lot to do with just how well Simon has made, um, you know, NCUs. I mean, for me personally, there's the list of NCUs that are overlooked, very slim. Uh, a lot of NCUs, I see, I see a lot of NCUs 
or NCUs used, um, especially from the neutrals. I, I mean, I see so many neutral NCUs used, but NCU is, is the one NCU that I definitely don't see that often. Um, so, and I think that also has a lot to do with, uh, you know, Bruce Commander being so good. He is, in my opinion, by far the number one neutral commander. And even not even not even just dumping him in the pool of uh, neutral commanders, he is so good as a commander. I mean, you can run him in a lot of factions, uh, which I'll bring up uh, probably on my next overlooked unit. But um, Roos NCU, yeah, just for those that, uh, just for context, I'll read off his ability. His is, he begins with three order tokens, and each time Bruce activates, you may remove one order token from him. If you do target one combat unit, they become panicked. And then each time Bruce claims a zone, you may replace that zone's effect with one enemy combat unit suffers one panic test. So, Bruce, Bolton, NCU, just on paper, no other factors. He's kind of garbage. <laughs> but, again, that's on paper, no other factor, uh, factors. But, I mean, you run him in, like, a two-list format, and you know that there's a good chance that you're going to do at least one, if not both, missions where, uh, you know, for, so let's say Feast for Crows or and or um, Dance with Dragons, where when your opponent fails a panic test, they have to drop that panic token. And you're running, let's say, flayed men who have intimidating presence. So even though his panic test has no modifier, you can get that modifier on there with him and a panic token, uh, three panic tokens in the, of the course of the game with him. Uh, he can be completely game-changing in certain missions, um, especially, let's say, in a Lannister army. Uh, who you have a lot of uh, panic manipulation, or even uh, even I guess we'll say like a Ramsey um, faction, where you know let's say or let's say a, a neutral army with Ramsey commander. There's so many situations where your opponent just has bad morale, and even just a base panic test with no modifier can mean the difference. You know between passing and failing, let's say uh, there's a decent amount of non-Asha Greyjoys or even just free folk lists where, you know, you just start taking the crown, zapping them, uh, replace the spot, zapping them, and you could really start, you know, whittling away a lot of your opponent. What do you think, uh, Cyrus? Yeah, I'm in full agreement. Uh, I've seen it uh, discussed and when uh, 2021 first came out, he was Roos was kind of squeezed out a little bit. That there were some better options for NCUs, but it, it, it's it's a little bit list dependent. But panic tokens are really really good. Be, just the versatility that you have of being able to choose which dice that you get to re-roll, and it, it, it puts you in situations where your opponent. It has it has to be concerned any time that they're going to be attacked if if you're going to be throwing out panic tokens at all the time, as well as just being able to decide to give a, a, a unit a panic check anytime you claim the zone. If you're really really cheeky, you could run Roost with Peter 
and have Peter take a zone that's not the crown and have it take a panic test and then have another NCU claim the crown and then on your next activation have Roos and have an opponent take three panic checks from the NCU board. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> but uh, that's that's if your opponent lets you, that's happen. But then if your opponent claims a crown to try to block you, you still can make them have two panic checks. So it's it's not even it's not even the end of the world if they do that. Uh, but if you are planning on running a panic theme list in Lannisters or Greyjoys, being able to get those panic tokens out are key because it's happened so, to so many of us. We, we get in a situation, it's like, all right, this panic check is going to kill you. And then they roll boxcars and then they don't die. And then you're really sad and then you lose <laughs> the game. So <laughs> uh, being able to get a reliable panic damage out is really key, especially when the theme of your list is centered around panic damage. And even if it's not, Let's say your your list is purely offensive themed. Let's say you're running Gregor, and you and you don't really have a whole lot of panic manipulation, but you have a lot of raw damage. Being able to reliably get failed panic checks out uh, with those panic tokens can can even increase that raw damage even more, and maybe even allow you to one shot units. So, I think Roost NCU is good if you're not running uh, Roost Commander, who is also really good. He's definitely worth throwing in lists just to make people run away. What do you think, Craig? Uh, I agree with all that. I also like putting him in Queen of Marine lists. Um, Those panic tests really help the cards go off. And the Targaryens actually have quite a bit of um, ways to get vicious. So I I do actually try to squeeze him into my Queen of Marine list as well. Nice, yeah. And as you're saying, uh, Cyrus, like the Greyjoy list, some you know, if you want to run Euron, uh, who can make you your unit, your opponent's unit, uh, lose all abilities on a field, getting those panic tokens can be huge uh, to just kind of lay down there the first three, you know, three rounds of the game that way, but, you know, because they'll take a minus per rank that they're missing. So in the meantime, before you actually get the chance to reduce their ranks, you could start throwing those panic tokens on there to just start making them have a chance to fail outright. Um, You know, it's, there's so many, there's a lot of factions that have at least one avenue of panic themed uh, stuff in it where Roos can really fill that gap. And like I said, if you're in um, Dance with Dragons or Feast for Crows mission, uh, or if you wanted to, you know, or if you're facing an opponent who has just really bad morale across the board, um, he definitely has a great uh, a great place in a lot of uh, scenarios. All right, Cyrus, what do you think? Uh, what's another overlooked unit uh, for you? So I'm looking at the Stormcrow mercenaries. Now, not so much as in Targaryens, where they were their only infantry choice for a, an extended period of time. And now that they've become actual Targaryen units, but more so sprinkling them in in other factions. I think 
that they're incredibly versatile and they're being overlooked. That ability of adaptable and being able to get a discount on an attachment opens up so many opportunities in so many different factions, except for free float. Um, so I was looking at Stormcrow Mercs and Greyjoys and throwing Asha in it. So now you have a five-point unit with Warcry on a five-plus morale. With all the complaining that we've had about Champions of the Faith and, and Poor Fellows, Asha in Mercenaries is actually a better unit getting Warcry for five points. So just that as one example of something that you can do. If you're really short on points and you're having trouble fitting in everything that you want to fit in, especially if you're running, you know, a certain type of attachment that you really want to include, like, I don't know, a really good attachment like Sandor in, in, a, in a Lannister unit, just throw him in there for free. Or throw the Mountain in there. Uh, uh, I forget the name of the two-point attachment, but now you have Tywin's a six-point unit dog. that does two wounds. Yeah, Tywin's Mad Dog just does two automatic wounds every time, and you're seven morale there's a good chance that you're going to fail your morale test when you go to get a 12-inch charge. So it, you have a whole lot of options with Stormcrow Marks, and I don't really see a whole lot of them out there. But they're really versatile, and I think they're worth splashing in every now and then. Oh, yeah. Not to mention, uh, like, again, like, this unit is amazing as one of uh, in a lot of lists. And, you know, and the big part of that is um, – motivated by coin you know you can't you know use a bunch of motivated by coin so you just have one of these and now you know you leaving that wealth zone open is dangerous and especially like you were saying tywin's mad dog uh you know getting a free attack with that is not something you want to leave um open and uh and i've i think i've mentioned this before and they're Stark Sworn Swords. They're not on my list because I know a lot of people are completely fine with them, and I understand that only a handful of people agree with me. But for me, hands down, every time, I will take uh, Stormcrow Mercenaries with, let's say, any atta- any Stark attachment or neutral attachment over taking Stark Sworn Swords. Because in my opinion, the Mercenaries are just better. Um, you know, the Stark Sworn Swords have have Stark Fury and one more morale, but the Stormcrow, uh, what did I say? So Stark Sworn Swords have one more morale and Stark Fury. The Stormcrow Mercenaries have um, Adaptive and Motivated by Coin. So essentially the versatility of any one-point attachment that's legal to a Stark faction and the ability to get a free attack or one morale and a Stark Fury, which combo, which unfortunately has the same timing as a lot of other things. So for me, like mercenaries are like my go-to for Starks. Um, but outside of that, I would say, yeah, the, every fa- I would say every faction has so many cool combos with them. What about you, Craig? I know you play Targaryens, but have you had any success with them in other factions? Uh, I've always liked running them in Starks. Um, even before 1.6, I'd put Mira. I know a lot of people did the whole 
Rickon thing, two activations for five points, but I always put Mira Reed in there in my Howland list because then I have a five-point unit with that did not OD3 wounds and um, had the keywords. But although they don't do the – now it's uh, hits instead of wounds and blah, 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 there's, it's still great to get that uh, that keyword in there. So if you need to include a character in your list for whatever reason to get certain keywords for certain tactics cards – they're a great unit for that. Uh, they're great objective holders. Um, as you said, they're so versatile with the Starks. You know, you, you can have a defensive unit with a veteran or an offensive unit with a uh, Umber champion. So, um, with Targaryen aside, you know, my Targaryen lists, I'll run two or three of them. I've always liked the unit. So, that to, to me, they weren't overlooked, but I'm weird. So... <laughs> so I don't really have anything to add. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll just go right back to you then, though. What uh, what would you say is another uh, overlooked unit for you? So you mentioned uh, Sworn Swords not being on your list, but I did have them on my list um, because I have had a lot of complaints of, well, I would never run this because Stark Fury doesn't work with tactics cards and et cetera, et cetera. But to me, a five-point unit with critical blow and sundering is insanely good. Um, so although although it does not work with, tact- with some of the tactics cards, it doesn't need to. It already has critical blow and sundering. So it, what it does is it frees those cards up to be used on other units, in my opinion. So now you ha- just have this five-point offensive battery that although it has to wound itself, it doesn't really care because it's five points. So I think it really does punch above its weight. That's, that's fair enough. I think though that would fall into kind of, for me, that would fall into the kind of the category that I don't know if I'd want to run more than one of them. Like you said, it, it does free up, other units to use your tactics cards, but if you have a bunch of sword swords, then it obviously starts limiting your your options. But I could definitely still see that. What about you, Cyrus? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that they're underutilized. I mean, that they uh, kind of fill their role as just the base infantry unit for the Starks. I don't really see other units really taking their place. Uh, I'm trying to think about the list I ran into over last weekend. Uh, I know uh, John Hurley ran uh, Starks there, and I think he had one unit of Sworn Swords, and that had uh, Rickon and Osha in it. Uh, They're they're probably not given the credit that they should be given, mostly just because of, like we talked about, the the triggers and the fact that if you do use their ability, they're also self-damaging, which is kind of the Starks. Uh, <laughs> the Stark's identity at this point. Um, but if you kill your unit with critical blow and sundering, it doesn't really matter the wounds that you take from it. So, yeah, I think they're not really get, being given the, the credit that they probably should. All right. And, uh, let's see. One that I have on my list. Let's see. I have a, I have a big list, but I let's see which one I think probably deserves the most. Uh, all right, we'll talk about the one I kind of referenced before when I was talking about Roos. So, um, House Umber Great Axes. 
Uh, definitely a unit that a lot of people have had a lot of controversy about. You know, they were changed quite a bit in the role and what they were doing. They are seven points. Um, you know, they have the their executioner's fury is now sundering. And then uh, you get plus one wound. Uh, the enemy suffers plus one wound when failing a panic test caused by this attack for each of it, of the unit's destroyed ranks. So I think, uh, again, this is going to kind of be something that you're going to need to really build your list around. But running uh, great axes in like a Ramsey-led um, list, putting Ramsey in there with the intimidating presence, um, on top of that, uh, Northern Ferocity, you know, that combo can get crazy, uh, cause if your opponent is at last rank, they're going to take so much damage from the panic test that they don't even need to roll the damage. Uh, it's going to be plus five. So even a silenced men with two pillage and Balon in there, minusing three of it, they're still going to take D3 plus two. So on average, the unit still dies if they're on their last rank, assuming they have four wounds. Um, and let's say they're at two ranks. It's still going to be D3 plus three. I mean, they could be at five wounds left and still die. Uh, I mean... Granted, you're going to have to have the tactics card. They're going to have to be wounded. They're going to have to fail their panic test. But, you know, you can uh, – there's limited way. there's a, a decent amount of ways you can try to get some panic tokens on there, either with, like, the ambush ability or uh, something else. Uh, obviously, you can't run Roos NCU. If you're going to run Roos Commander, then, again, you could just opt to run a different commander, and then that way you can run Roos NCU to combo with these guys. But um, again, like like you were saying, Cyrus, I know these guys aren't cavalry, but that Sundering uh, is going to be super useful against a lot of things. And, uh, you know, they're hitting on threes with seven, six. So, you know, they have a hefty number of dice uh, until you really get them down in, in ranks. What do you think, Cyrus? Uh, yeah, hold on just a second. So, uh, yeah, I agree. This is this is one of those ones where I really struggled with when I first saw these guys. And I've been trying to figure out a role for them, and they haven't hit the table for me yet, so I haven't been able to, been able to really play with them to be able to find their new role. They're they're really tw- tricky because they, they seem to revolve around panic, but they don't have you know, vicious or any way to, to try to ensure that an enemy fails their panic check. And they take less wounds from panic when they're on lower ranks, but there's no way to really mitigate any hits that they get unless you start adding on attachments and increasing the cost of the unit. Like you could throw a Umber Champion in there to give them vicious, and when they're on their last rank, they're rolling their maximum attack die value and vicious, along with dealing extra wounds if they fail to panic. I mean, that's a good combo there, but now you're talking about eight points, which is which is a premium. Um, you can throw a Mormont vet in there and help them when they're on their last rate. 
not only block additional hits, but also take less wounds if they happen to feel their panic. So now if they're on their last rank, they're really freaking annoying. Um, and in that situation, they would be good in a great John Umber list because uh, they get they got their bonuses from being on their last rank and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, these guys definitely fall in the category of underutilized and, and overlooked because I don't think that they've really found their their role yet and, and been able to, to to find their little their their niche and, and what they do really well. So yeah, this one I'm kind of at a loss for being able to to be able to point to exactly uh, what they do other than throwing attachments at them and 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 trying to to buff or not buff but uh, enhance what their abilities already do. Yeah, I'm kind of struggling with this one. So before I go over to you, Craig, I did want to mention one last thing. I kind of agree. Uh, like, I agree with you, Cyrus, about it, it's tough, being you know, deciding to throw, like, an attachment in them. That's why, like, for me, I think it really comes down to if you can find a good commander to put these guys in, then it's a lot more e- – it's way easier to justify the cost of seven um, – you know, knowing that it after you put the commander in there, it's just a seven-point unit, and you're not having to put them into, as you were saying, like the premium bracket of eight or nine points. Because I do have like a list where it's I run two of them, one with Roost Commander, and then the second one has Ramsey attachment to also have Intimidating Presence, and I believe Fueled by Slaughter, um, and that way, you know, I have these two units on different parts of the battlefield that can both trigger that crazy combo as long as I can get it going, but it doubles my chances that, you know, it's, they're going to be in the situation for it to happen. But, um, but yeah, I agree that I think this is probably more so going to be looked at as like a commander bunker, not like the go-to, but as long as you can find like a combo that can work well enough for it. Uh, what do you think, Craig? Yeah, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Um, I will say that they combo really well with uh, Mormont Sheep Bears. Because of Warcry, they are able to get that panic token out that they need. But uh, I yep. feel like in order for this unit to work, you have to have to invest in so many other things. Like, you know, like you said, using them as a commander bunker or attachments or adding Sheep Bears to your list as well. So you're really kind of tying yourself into what your list is going to look like just just to run this one unit that even then its damage output is mitigated essentially by one lucky panic test dice roll. Yep. Yeah, that that is the thing I will admit with these guys is that I just can't see them by themselves with no attachment in them. Them by themselves with no attachment, I feel like they just they don't do enough for what their point costs. So you really have to, this is definitely a tricky unit that you're going to have to build your list around. But I think uh, it's going to be kind of a Hail Mary. It's going to it's gonna be trying to see if that investment pays off. Um, but I think that um, 
with enough playing around with these guys, there's definitely going to be a place, a place for them. Especially like you're saying, Craig, that didn't even cross my mind. The the she bears with the war cry could definitely help. You know, like uh, run roost in them, run some she bears. Uh, you know, you can even run she bears with like um, blackfish uh, attachment. That uh, I believe one one two points. I can't remember, but he gives stalwart. That way, now the shoe bears are at a four up, really, you know, easily throwing out those panic and vulnerable tokens um, to really start to fuel these guys. Because these guys charging into something with roost in them, and that if the whatever they're charging into is vulnerable and panicked, I mean, they're gonna because you also have sundering and intimidating presence, they're gonna have a bad day. Um, all right, uh, Cyrus uh, or. Yeah, Cyrus, uh, did you have um, another overlooked unit? Yeah, uh, let's talk about one that's on both of our lists, uh, the Scarecrow Dervishes. Now, these guys came out in late 1.6, and we didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity to play around with them and, and find out their role in 1.6. And then 2021 came out, and then they got they got tweaked a little bit, I think their their damage output came down, but they mostly kept the same uh, abilities. And we still haven't really found a role for them in 2021 either. I'm not seeing a whole lot of them out in the game right now. I haven't been able to – I haven't played with them in 2021 yet either myself. Yeah. So it, – it, it, Or two. They're, 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 yeah, they're definitely in that category of underutilized because they're just not – hitting the table, but they do some very, very unique things. Their ability to just just run in, hit and run, and, and, and retreat right back out can benefit a bunch of different commanders. Uh, it, it just screams what Rob Stark likes to do, and uh, even some others like the combo with, uh, with Brendan Tully of his uh, – uh, set for charge. If somebody charges you, charges in, and yep. then you set for charge, and then you retreat, and they 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 lose their charge essentially, and they don't get to attack you. That still exists, and other factions might be able to utilize them for those hit and run tactics as well. I I think they're a decent enough unit, but we just they're just kind of getting overshadowed by stuff that we're playing with right now, and they haven't really found their role yet. Yeah, I think, uh, unfortunately, with all these neutral units we keep bringing up, you know, they they definitely have their place. Unfortunately, their place is not really in a neutral faction. So, you know, sorry, Justin, if you're listening to this, there isn't, like, a great place for these guys in neutral, but there's some amazing combos that you can kind of pull off, like you were saying, with Brendan Tully, his Texas card for set for charge, um, you know, being able to completely, like, if you run Sansa to go get set for charge back twice, you could essentially do this four times in a round where just nullify <laughs> someone's charge against you. And just, I mean, the frustration, I can just imagine the frustration on anyone's face if you did that to them four times in a row. But um, also motivated by coin. I mean, again, uh, you're obviously, if you run a ton of, you know, 
Stormcrow mercenaries and dervishes, you know, that motiv- motivated by coin can only work once for you. But if, let's say, all you're running is the dervishes and no mercenaries, I mean, that's, again, that's a huge um, a huge thing for your opponent to have to try to think about letting you take another free, like a, a free attack. You can, it's almost guaranteeing that, okay, you may have taken the, the combat zone, but I'm now going to take the wealth zone trigger any wealth effects I need and still get a free attack uh, and then retreat from it. Um, but one combo that I wanted to mention, now granted best scrolls would be better for this combo, but I mean, they're best scrolls. They're arguably one of the best units in the game. Um, but running Stormcrow Dervishes with uh, um, why can't I think of his name? Uh, Wow, how am I blanking on his name? I'm going to have to look at the council, and I feel like the war or the war council app. Um, Davos. What does he do? I didn't even. Okay. He uh, so Davos commander because he gives outflank because these guys they have ambush. So if you charge in the flank or rear, they become panicked and weakened. And then the swift strike, so you get a retreat after that, motivated by coin to get another attack if you needed. Um, so, I mean, getting them in the back line is something, uh, and then charging into the rear or flank, or even, let's say, even if it forces your opponent to turn around and you have, let's say, a cavalry, let's say, you know, you run... Um, some, I don't know, flayed men, uh, champions of the stag, whatever Baratheons can run um, for a Stannis uh, loyalty. And, you know, they, they're they going to turn around or just stay front. There's, I mean, it would be silly to kind of turn sideways. but um, And I think it's a lose-lose in that scenario. If you have a cavalry or even a ranged unit, some Lightbringers shooting into the rear of a unit that just turned around, uh, I mean, you're not going to want to do that either. So, I think uh, I think these guys definitely have some awesome play with Davos Commander. What do you think, uh, Craig? So I'm very open about my play style, which is all about movement shenanigans and being everywhere at once. And this unit uh, exemplifies that as an infantry unit. Uh, it's one of my favorite units. Um, I use it, if I play Starks, I use it as a command bunker for, I mean, you guys have already mentioned the obvious ones, but pretty much every commander I'll use it with. Um, If I'm running like a Targaryen um, Stormcrow list, I'll put them in there. It's not a super competitive list, but it's fun. Um, But something else I've seen done, and I've done it myself, but it's a really expensive thing to pull off, but I've seen the Unsullied officer being placed in there. Uh, and then Grey Worm as commander with his issue orders card that lets you take off the activation token uh, because it's an, well, the the order. So if you use the order from the Unsullied Officer and then use uh, issue commands to take off that order again, now you can use Relentless again. So you can get three, four, five attacks with these things um, with that combo. Albeit it is an expensive one, but I've seen it seen it do wonders. 
Um, a Kranigman survivalist in this unit is also exceptional because it hits and runs and your opponent cannot pivot, so now you're in their flank. And so the next turn, when you your next round, you charge in their flank to get the benefits of ambush and all that. So there's a, a lot of ways to use them. I, I really like them. My only complaint is the 7-up morale, but that's because I play a lot of Lannisters. <laughs> Yeah, it would be nice if they were like a six-up morale. Nothing, nothing crazy, but um, but even with that said, I think uh, yeah, that the Kranigman uh, survivalist would be a great attachment for these guys. Uh, again, I know that's putting them up in like the eight-point range, but sometimes finesse can you know is worth that price tag. Uh, and it's not like these guys are hitting with nothing, especially if you're putting them in Starks and you can get some of those uh, keywords with their uh, with their Tactus cards. You know, you can really start to make them hit pretty hard. And then, like you were saying, Craig, if you have that officer in there, if you can if you can get lucky enough and get these guys into someone's flank after they've already activated, and then attack them like four times into the flank, I mean, they're they're probably dead. Like. <laughs> um, they're probably not surviving that many hits from from this unit in the flank because every or it's, the ambush is only when you charge, but still you charge into their flank and they become panicked and weakened, and, and now you have all these attacks. So um, definitely a unit that I absolutely love, and the models are amazing. Um, they're some of my favorites. Uh, so I, any any chance I get, I like to try to find a way to get these guys uh, used. Um, Craig, how I have you? one Do more have, thing uh, on the dervishes. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So I think they fit really well in lists that offer uh, additional free charges. Like, I think Starks have Assault Orders, which could allow you to get a free charge out of them, or uh, Gregor, and I think uh, there's a few other commanders that have Assault Orders. Victorian, yeah. So what could what could happen there is because of their speed six, if you get a free charge off and you roll well on your retreat, you're going to be in a position where the unit that you just charged is probably not going to be able to charge you back. And you have your activation to go still. And so you're out of position for them to charge you, or they could try to charge you if, if you're in reasonable uh, range, but they fail, and now you just charge back in after they've done the failed charge and do even more damage. So this ability to just bounce back and forth and getting your charge bonuses, depending on what attachment you throw in there, you're going to be dealing a bunch of damage with your charge bonus rerolls, just being able to bounce in and out, just charge, retreat, charge, retreat. And, yeah, I, in, in lists like that where they could get additional charge actions, they're they're going to be really strong. Well, especially, uh, you know, a lot of the times that's the downside to getting that free charge uh, because then you give up the ability for that combat zone. You know, your opponent's next action is to take that free attack. This will get you out of combat, especially if we're talking like round two, to where they're, you now got a charge action against them, retreated away, and now they can't take the combat zone to get a free attack against you. Now they're going to possibly have to find a way to maneuver and get to you. And then I can't tell you how many times people forget, like, a free charge, and they think that was just your charge, like your action, your your activation. And so they'll just they'll charge into you or something, and they're like, yeah, no, I haven't activated yet. So 
Um, that is definitely the nice thing because you can then, I think you sort of mentioned it, but, you know, if you retreat after that free charge, you can charge in again and so have two attacks that are having uh, re-rolls. Uh, Craig, do you have another on your list for overlooked units? Um, I don't know how overlooked it is. I just know I almost never see it on the table personally, and that is Lannister Guardsmen. Um, to me, yeah, they're slow, but they're a five-point unit that's literally impossible to move, and Lannister Supremacy has the potential to crank out so much damage. So if you can get them on an objective, you're scoring points from that objective, and your opponent pretty much leaves it alone. Um, not to mention all the combos you can get with various um, attachments and whatnot. But uh, at, at least for me, maybe I don't see them because of the other options in the faction. Um, I always see Warrior Sons, Poor Fellows, things like that. So maybe they're just edged out because of the other options. But for me, they're an incredibly strong unit, and I just I just wish I saw more of them. Yeah, I think they're... I would say, I don't know, I would say kind of overlooked only, like you were saying, in the sense that just all the other options are so good. But I've definitely seen a, my, like a, a decent share of, of them played. Um, I, can't, I can't say I've seen a lot of them without an attachment. Normally they have like a, a, an assault veteran or something in them to really crank them you know, up to you know, just amazing. Because the F5, I think they're just a really strong, uh, annoying uh, unit. But, like, you throw that Assault Vet, I know it puts them in that six-point bracket, but they become incredibly nasty. And now, because that uh, intimidating presence that the Assault Veteran gives will also apply when they attack you. So it gives them a little bit of a bite, uh, whereas before, you know, they're really just like a, a defensive unit. What do you think, Cyrus? I know you didn't. Did you play some guardsmen? I think near in the tournament. Oh, I sure did. Uh, there were so many Lannister players at nationals, and I think very few of them actually ran very many Lannister cards. I ran two of them in my list with uh, Roost Commander in one of them, and these guys were great. And I think that the Lannister guards are totally overlooked right now, mostly because of. Red cloaks. Why would I want to run Lancer Guards when I could run seven red cloaks in my list? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I, uh, I think that the Lancer Guards are really good. Sure, they don't hit very hard offensively, and yeah, their morale is seven. But Lancer Supremacy in 2021 is ridiculous, and it can apply to a melee attack or a ranged attack. You're constantly sitting on pins and needles if you try to attack a Lannister Guardsman unit. And I put Roost Commander in one of my Lannister Guards, which gave them spread fear and intimidating presence. So you want to stay as far away as possible from that unit if you can help it. Uh, I understand the hype for Red Cloaks right now, but they do have some weaknesses. If something happens to Joffrey, he can't place on the tactic zone, Let's say he gets just bumped out because you had to activate other NCUs first or he gets intrigued and subterfuged 
or he gets outlanded and he loses his ability to control the crown, Red Cloaks are a subpar unit for six points. I mean, they're okay. They're not they're not brilliant, but there's nothing that you can really do to Lannister guards that you can't do to any other unit to try to, to take them down at five points. Their three plus armor is really good, and if you can't get wounds through on their armor, their morale doesn't matter. And after you attack them, you gotta worry about taking up to six wounds in return. So I think they're tremendous. I think there's a lot of options to be able to put attachments in them to make them even stronger. Uh, I would say if you are on the fence about running Lannister Guards and you're a Lannister player, I think you should run as many of them as possible. These these guys are a splashable unit for me. I'm thinking about running three-plus in my next list that I create because I just have a lot of fun with these guys. Oh, yeah. I, For me, like, first thing I did when I played uh, Lannisters for the first time for 2021 was, uh, I think it was Tywin and Poorfellows uh, for a cheap four-pointer that I didn't mind doing his issue commands. I ran two two guardsmen, a crossbowman, Knights of Castle Rock, and I forget what else uh, finished off the list. I know Pycelle was in there. And the guardsmen both had uh, veterans in them. Um, and it's just nasty. Lannister Supremacy is insanely good. Um, I mean, even on even when you roll average on that damage, it gets crazy. And the fact that Joffrey and... Um, hear me roar can increase that damage even further. I mean, you could be, if you try to attack a guardsman and you bounce off that hit, especially with, let's say, in, in my particular list with Pycelle and Tywin giving out weakened tokens, it, let's say you only did three damage, uh, three wounds, and you're sitting at a, a Lannister Supremacy at minus four plus, uh, plus four, plus six because of Joffrey, hear me roar, three ranks on the unit, and intimidating presence. Oh. <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you <laughs> say to that? <laughs> you, I mean, not only did you bounce off the unit, you like you killed yourself. <laughs> um, How are so you yeah. enjoying your Song of Ice and Fire experience today? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think uh, it's not that Lannister Guardsmen are not taken because they're bad. Again, they fall into that category of just overlooked by these other units. Now that uh, the charge action has been clarified to only count as one action for the purposes of abilities that trigger off every action, you know, uh, that came about with Red Cloaks. Um, Red Cloaks are definitely just fine units. They're strong. Um, and they're very situational. I mean, if you're facing, let's say, uh, Craig's Dothraki uh, tournament list, I mean, those red cloaks might as well not even have that ability. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, guardsmen are, they're amazing. Did you guys have anything else to add for guardsmen? Nope. No, I think we got it. All right, so um, 
I think we have time to do maybe one more each. So let's see, what do I want to be? Um, I want to talk about them because we haven't discussed this faction yet, and that is Baratheon Sentinels. So I know a lot of people would say Queensmen, Kingsmen, you know, because people kind of think that they're they're not that powerful, but they are still played quite a bit because they are kind of one of the new things. So even though you know you could argue that they're on the weaker scale of things, I see them quite a bit. Uh, people are still experimenting with them. I still see them. Uh, the one thing I'm not seeing that much of though is Sentinels. Uh, Baratheon Sentinels, you know, ever since they got changed to kind of a, a slightly different role for the faction, um, you know, they they kind of disappeared for the most part. But I just wanted to bring them up because, um, you know, the thing that kind of, for me, when I play Baratheons, Sentinels are almost an auto-include in my list. Now, granted, you know, I say auto-include, but as a one-of, like no more, no less, just, but having that sentinel order is huge. I mean, they may only have a five move, which is, you know, average, but sentinel giving you a free maneuver, I mean, that makes them really fast. Uh, that makes them a really fast unit. Um, and, you know, I think we briefly mentioned it, uh, you know, when Spencer was on, we are talking about these guys. You know, you can combine them with some ridiculous combos. Uh, my favorite, you run Braun in them for one more point. And then if you can, uh, you know, you take Alistair and um, Littlefinger, you can guarantee the wealth every round. Now you're looking at this unit being seven points, but it's a three-up, five-up for defense. Um and you have ways with ours is the fury to let them hit better, uh, and that sentinel order to attack again, and Bron for motivated by coin to attack again. You know, so you could get a sentinel charge, take the wealth zone, and then attack all three attacks, and they have sundering. Um, or you know, Spencer was mentioning you run Brienne the Blue in them, and. Uh, you know, you not only have Brienne the Blue and Sentinel, so what you can do if um, Renly's the one that's attacked, you can Sentinel to move up into position, and then Brienne, because Brienne, I believe, is not in order, uh, to then charge or attack the flank of something. Um, so you can trigger both abilities at once. Uh, these guys have so much potential, and they're so good. Uh, and I think, again, they're just they're over, overlooked as a unit. What do you think, Cyrus? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Sentinel is one of my favorite new abilities in the game. I don't think that it was a thing uh, in 1.6. It could have been. It might have been under a different it was, word. It could have been like counter. It was just counter. Yeah, you didn't have the ability to maneuver, but you always had the ability to do the free charge action. Yeah, I I love Sentinel in every application that it's used, and when it's uh, applied to a unit that has Sundering, it's just it's incredibly useful, like it is with the Sentinels. 
I know that Sentinels kind of get overshadowed a little bit, but just having a Sentinel in the unit just means that you don't have to put an attachment in it to get it is just so useful. I've, I have a buddy that I play uh, with here in Kansas City that just exclusively runs Baratheons, and, you know, our heart goes out to him because he's having a hard go in 2021. But he has multiple units that have Sentinel. I think the, the Dragonstone Noble has it. These Sentinels have it, and I'll be playing the game, and I'll I'll drift off, and I'll kind of forget about this, and I'll charge in. It's like, okay, well, I'm charging you now. It's, I got Sentinel over here. Okay, so the attack happens, and I take a bunch of damage, and he's like, okay, my turn. Oh, crap. You just <laughs> hit me for a bunch of damage, and it's your turn? Shite. Okay, so, yeah, it, it, it sucks when that happens, but uh, uh, the Sentinel is a great ability, and... The Sentinels themselves, I think, should you should. It, it's one of those like we talked about with a lot of the units on this list. You want to have at least one of them if you're going to run them. You don't want to run, have a whole army full of. Uh, I mean, that would be pretty crazy if you did. But <laughs> at least have one to give you that flexibility of the uh, the, the the counter charges when you do get hit. So, yeah, I'm I'm in agreement. I definitely like mixing up the Sentinel order. So now for me, Baratheon Sentinels are like a one of, no more, no less, but that's not necessarily because I think Sentinel, you only want one on the field as far as like the Sentinel order. But like I had one list where it was uh, Sentinels. So they have the Sentinel order, uh, stag uh, the Noble for another Sentinel order. And then I ran Flayed Men with the attachment Noble to give them Sentinel. And it was just like anything you attacked, I was getting free maneuvers or charges. And it really put my opponent in a hard spot because they're like, I, if I attack you here, you now either get a free charge or now you're maneuvering so much that now you're in a flank rather than a front. And, you know, it gets a little, a little overwhelming sometimes when you have so many on the board. What about you, Craig? Yeah, I'm actually surprised that they aren't more popular and that just lo- just looking at them on paper it's like wow, a free charge, free maneuver and they have sundering. What more do you do you want in a unit, you know? Um I don't I don't, I don't know the faction well enough to go into the um the combos and stuff that that can come out with it, but just on paper, wow. I would love to have that unit in the factions I play. Yeah, I think, you know, these guys got, um, I would say, individually better. I think in 1.6, they were, in my opinion, they were better at running a bunch of them. Now they're a little more finesse in in a way, but their potential, I think, has, you know, gone way up with what they can do with some of the combos available to them. One combo Spencer loves running with them is the um uh what is it, the Thorn Thornwatch, the one that gives them the able to ignore all the keywords for terrain and uh Dauntless so heal every time you pass a morale. Um just to kind of keep them alive a bit a bit longer and to, you know, make sure that the keywords aren't going to hinder their sentinel order. So there's definitely a lot of play with those guys. 
All right, Cyrus, what do you think? Uh, what's your last uh, um, overlooked unit? All right, so I started the show with a unit that's feeling the flayed men squeeze, and I'm going to end the show with one. Uh, and I'm going to stick with Baratheons. We're going to talk about the champions of the stag. Now, I'm not sure if these are truly underutilized or overlooked, but, again, me and my buddy, my Baratheon player here, uh, have gone back and forth that he does not think that the champions of stag are very good, and that seems to be a consensus around the game that why would I take champions of stag when I could take flayed men? Uh, two words. Two armor. That's it. That's my whole argument. <laughs> two armor. We, in the very beginning of the game, when the flayed men first came out, they were a 10-point unit. They had two armor, and they were a pariah. You saw them everywhere. I understand there's more that goes into this, but two armor is a pain in the neck to deal with for just about every single faction. I know that there exists units that do auto wounds, and yeah, that's going to make you really sad if you're running champions of the stag, but they're going to make flayed men sad too, so it really doesn't matter. Champions of the stag, I think, are really, really good at eight points. Old flayed men with their two armor were ten points. At eight points, I think they're good. They could tie up just about anything in the game, and if you're running, let's say, Kingsmen, and you're able to get uh, ours as a fury recurring back into your hand, you can keep giving them uh, uh, re-rolls and, I believe, sundering. And not only are you going to be able to stand up to anything in the game, but you're also probably going to wear them down faster than you they wear down you. So I had a problem. I played a guy uh, we talked about on the show, uh, Matt Beatty, who ran Baratheons. And I had five attacks in one round with Gregor, between free attacks and overruns and assault orders, and I needed every single one of them to get through his champions of stack. Because all the only wounds that I was doing was the auto wounds from Gregor, because nothing else was going through with his with his two armor saves, even with sundering. So it was it, it's great. I think I think that the champions of stack are pretty good right now, and I think I think they're overlooked. Yeah, I. Spencer was kind of in the same boat for uh, he he's like one foot in one foot out of that boat now but he's still kind of in the boat of you know with slayed men over champions my philosophy is simple for them uh, and I agree that they are definitely overlooked so this is just my personal way I look at them are you running Stannis loyalty slayed men are you running Renly loyalty champions that's kind of the black and white how i see it and the reason being is like you were saying a two-up save in a runly faction not that they have nearly as much as they used to healing healing a two-up armor unit is huge it is i mean all the work you did to get that two-up armor down and you just go heal it back uh like courtney penrose ncu you see him everywhere because he's so strong. Um, you either don't take a spot on the board and basically he is turning off NCU's all game, or you take on the a spot on the board and he's healing, what is it, D3 plus 2? Healing D3 plus 2 to a Champions of the Stag is crazy. So, um, yeah, I think their champions are like, 
the key unit to putting, I guess, flayed men in their place, putting them in their role, so to speak. So that's what I'm saying is if you're if you're going to run Stannis, you want that panic. You want that intimidating presence. You want their whole spiel, what, what they're good at doing. But that doesn't work as well in a Brenly-focused faction. Um, so in my opinion, at the same cost, these are both eight points, champions and stack are go-to in my opinion. Um, now you could deviate from that. You can easily say, you know, champions in a Stannis or Flayed Men in a Renly, but I think I think they just fit really well with if you stick to, like, champions for Renly and Flayed Men for uh, Stannis. What do you think, Craig? Yeah, I ran into this unit at Nationals. And I thought that it would be a good idea to try to attack them, try to tie them up, you know, hold them in place. So I did. I attacked. My charge, I attacked. And I did zero wounds. <laughs> he, he saved them all, you know, for obvious reasons, already mentioned by Cyrus. And at that point, I decided that discretion was the better part of valor and spent the rest of the game running and hiding from them. Because that was a fight I was not going to win if I'm doing zero wounds and then he's hitting me back with critical blow. So and, and my five up saves. So they they, they scare me. Um it, it comforts me a little bit that they're kinda of slow for Calvary. Um I think I think that's a, a reason to point to the flayed men over them. But yeah, that two up save is as you guys have already harped on, it's it's tough. You know, if you don't have something to deal with it, then your best bet's just to avoid it. Yep, and like you're, uh, I think you're kind of alluding, if you didn't already say it, alluding to Cyrus, you know, Flademan against champions, you got to hope you get one hit through because they have they don't have Sundering. So you're getting that straight two up. If they pass all those saves, the Intimidating Presence is not doing anything. Uh, if if they're fa- fighting each other, um, now this is a definite definitely a great example of Simon, you know, making champions good in their own right and Flademen good in their own right, you know, when comparing each other. Yeah, um, the, the right. champions they're not, they're not a purely offensive unit. They're, they're like they they hand out a weakened token when they charge, and when you look at that, it's like, well, what good is that doing me? I'm making them weakened when I'm attacking them. That's not going to help me on this attack. But now you're weakened, attacking them back with their two armor. Good luck trying to get through. So yep. they're not they're not purely focused into one role. They 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 have kind of a, a more of a wider focus where they have damage from their critical blow, but they also have of really good defensive value. So, yeah, yeah, I think they have their place. All right, Craig, what's uh what's your last uh option or last choice for under underused overlooked units? Um I don't know if overlooked is the right term, but I I would go with over, uh, underused, and that's the Stormcrow archers. Um every faction has a long-range unit, or almost every faction has a long-range unit that's native to it. Um, for example, the Lightbringers or um, Stark Bowmen. But this unit is unique in that, so you have crossbow units that have Sundering, and that makes them incredibly dangerous. 
Um, this unit, uh, you can get Sundering, you can get rerolls, um, you can hand out vulnerable tokens, you can do all those things where the other units can only do one of them or they need an attachment to do it. Um, you know, uh, awful crossbows aside, we won't talk about those. But uh, um, so if you put Braun in this unit then and you have Peter Baelish as one of your NCUs, you go, and if it's, you know, your first that round, say it's uh, beginning of the second round and you're going first, you go ahead and take the envelope and use Peter Baelish for a free attack. And now your enemy's vulnerable. And then you look at him and say, well, because of Braun, um, I'm going to attack you again off the tactics board. Uh, would you rather I have Sundering or would you rather I have rerolls? Uh, and if it's round two and you're not engaged yet, so they're kind of in trouble, but you can get two, three attacks around with them, and you're adding sundering, you're rerolling attack dice, you're, you're handing out vulnerable tokens, and all of a sudden the damage output is insane. They only hit on fours, but if you if you've got rerolls, that's that's not really a problem. And so I think they really fit into any faction because of that. Yeah, and. It, you do need to play around with the tax board a little bit, but um, these guys at six point, I think, are a bargain. Uh, you, you know, you combine them with Littlefinger and like Alistair if you want to run them instead of let's say Lightbringers, or let's say if you're Runly and you don't have like a ranged unit um, to use, you know, them in in that faction. You know, you can definitely play around and get a bunch of their abilities, you know, because a lot of people look at it and they go, okay, well, there's a good chance I'm only getting one of these, maybe two of these on some rounds, but I mean, it's definitely possible with Alistair and uh, and Littlefinger, you could have like all three abilities. And then like you are saying, if you put Bronn in there, you, you really start to put a lot of pressure on your opponent with your ranged attacks. What do you think, Cyrus? Yeah, I'm not sure I could say that these are underutilized or overlooked. If they are, it's a crime because Stormcrow archers are ridiculous. And they're so good, they might be too good, but they're so good that they're actually squeezing out ranged units in some of the factions. I know that they are definitely taken over Lannister crossbows, I think they're taken over Stark Bowman, and I think sometimes they're even taken over Baratheon uh, Lightbringers just because of the versatility and the fact that it gives you the option of getting Sundering where Lightbringers don't have native Sundering. Uh, yeah, the cross or the uh, the Stormcrow Archers are incredibly good. They do require a presence on the NCU board, but in all likelihood, you're going to have at least one of the zones if not two, and getting those bonuses uh, can just, yeah, they can cause your opponent a lot of problems. So, yeah, it's it's a great unit, and if they're not being taken right now, they should be. All right, so that kind of concludes our show. I think I only had, like, three more uh, as it was. Uh, so I think we covered probably a majority of everything uh, that we probably had on all of our lists, you know, combined. Um, maybe we'll do, like, a part two at some point. 
but I hope everyone listening uh, found you know found this kind of helpful because I know uh, with all the craziness going on with 2021, everyone's trying to rediscover you know the identity of their units and or faction. You know, we've been hearing nonstop talk about the stuff that's too good or just you know things that uh, are considered to be better than everything else but we wanted to kind of take you know take some time to talk about some of these units that you know again are overlooked you know that might you know hopefully some of this discussion has has wanted you to test some of these use units out because if if that's kind of what you're feeling right now that's kind of you know at least for me that was kind of the goal you know get this discussion about a lot of these units and now after hearing some of the stuff that maybe didn't wasn't apparent or didn't like jump out at you as a potential thing you know hopefully that makes you want to like next time you play throw these guys on the table or throw whatever unit uh, on the table and just really try it out try it in the in the right uh you know situation now again um these guys are definitely overlooked simply because they're not as versatile as a lot of other options out there. But again, they don't necessarily need to be. Not everything in the game needs to be as versatile as the next thing to it. Um, sometimes you need certain things to be, you know, kind of the cornerstone, uh, you know, oddball uh, combo that still has a place. Uh, with certain situations. Um, Craig, we'll start with you. What are your kind of like final thoughts with uh, with overlooked units? Um, I think that it, it speaks to how well 2021 is designed, that although there are overlooked units, there will always be overlooked units in every miniatures game, uh, whether it's this one or 40K or any of them. Um, but the fact that we're able to sit here and discuss those overlooked units and quickly and almost, uh, maybe easily is not the right word, but very quickly um, find good uses for them, um, good combos for them that make them uh, to be as effective as some of the units that might be overutilized. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, Cyrus, how about you? Yeah, just to piggyback off of that, it was not easy to create a big list of things that I thought was overlooked or underutilized. There is a pretty good uh, variety out there in, in list building right now, and these were just a handful of things that I thought might need a second look. And if you're building a list at home and there's something that you haven't played with, Give it a shot and see how it plays on the table. You, you you might be surprised. Yeah, I I actually also had kind of a hard time. There was um there was a couple on my list that you know they were on there, but I was like I don't know maybe they not, they shouldn't even be on this list. But you know I was like you know what the list isn't very big. Let's throw them on there. Just uh, I'd rather have a couple extra on my list and not need them than run through all of our uh, stuff and then sit with, you know, the show ending too early and not, you know, having anything else to talk about. So I think, uh, I think even if we did a part two to like overlooked units and stuff that it probably wouldn't be very long, you know, maybe another like hour worth of talking and then 
you know, like you were saying, you know, Simon, I think, has done a great job to bringing the bar higher. You know, there might be units, again, that are kind of too good, but there's very, very little that is, like, unplayable. And I wouldn't even say nothing. Nothing in this game is unplayable. It just, they're they're limited. They they need certain combos and certain play style to really, you know, kind of flesh out their strengths. And again, um, a lot of factions, I mean, every faction still has things to come. You never know what uh, is, uh, you know, is going to be. Um, so, uh, Cyrus, uh, I got to go for a second. All right. Well, uh, it's just us, but we're just closing out the show here. Uh, yeah, Craig, did you have any other uh, final thoughts on it? No, absolutely not. All right. Well. Uh, <laughs> All right. I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> oh, there you are. Okay. Uh, my uh, my partner <laughs> was. No, you're good. My partner just had to ask me something. So, again, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thank you guys for coming on. Um, I'll wrap it up because i got to get going. Thank you all for listening. This is a small council radio, and it is dismissed. <laughs>